0: Welcome to the 10-Minute Medic. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Young. Of all the skills that are required for a competent paramedic, none's more important than the ability of the medic to perform a thorough and effective patient assessment. In this podcast entitled, You Can't Treat What You Can't Find, we'll take a look at how to accomplish this in an organized and systematic manner. With pediatric patients, your assessment should begin prior to the moment in which you make physical contact with the patient this requires you to begin your assessment from the door in order to allow the patient not to be frightened by your presence. This is the point at which you'll begin to use the pediatric assessment triangle to form your initial impression during which you'll try to answer the question, sick or not sick. The pediatric assessment triangle is made up of three sides, appearance, work of breathing, and circulation. Like all patients, when you identify a life-threatening problem, you must correct that issue prior to moving on to later parts of the assessment. With pediatric patients, you're able to assess both the pulse and the respiratory status at the same time. Should you need to begin ventilatory support, open the airway and begin rescue breathing. If your patient's an infant or a child, give one breath every three to five seconds, shooting for a per minute rate of 12 to 20 breaths per minute. Provide only enough air to allow the chest to rise and fall. If the pulse is inadequate, and by inadequate, I mean less than 60 beats per minute, you must begin high-quality chest compressions. If there's no life-threatening condition that exists, it's at this time that you continue with your pediatric assessment triangle and get your initial impression. Let's take a look at each of the sides of the triangle in a little more depth. Begin by taking a look at the appearance of your child. Assess the level of consciousness taking into consideration the age of the child and what should be an appropriate response to your presence in the room. As we stated earlier, much of the information that you would gather at this stage would be acquired at the doorway. Once a child begins to cry, a very real possibility, it can be tough to tell if they're sick or simply frightened by you. Keep the caregiver with the child and allow him or her to distract the child with toys or other things that the child recognizes. Now move on to the assessment of the child's breathing. Normally, breathing is an effortless process and almost silent. Note the degree of work that the child is having to do to breathe as well as any sounds that you may be able to hear with or without a stethoscope. It's at this point that you should assess for any abnormal mechanics of the respiratory process, such as seesaw breathing or retractions. Children are able to place themselves in a tripod position in order to facilitate difficult breathing patterns. Lastly, assess the circulatory status of the child. The skin is the body's largest organ and we can gather a ton of information by simply assessing it. Unfortunately, many paramedics overlook this valuable source of information. Obviously, we want to look for and correct any life-threatening bleeding, but in addition to that, let's assess the skin color, condition, and temperature. Many times, pediatric patients in shock will present with pallor and modeling. Pallor is a pale tint of the skin that comes about as the vascular system begins to constrict and shunts blood away from the extremities into the core circulation. This can lead to modeling, which is an irregular reddish-pink coloration of the skin. Cyanosis is another color that indicates impending respiratory failure. One word of warning about cyanosis, though. It is a late sign of respiratory failure. Do not wait until your patient is cyanotic to take seriously the degree of dyspnea that they're exhibiting. Skin can also give us some information about sepsis. If a patient's running a fever, diaphoresis will be present. Look for a condition known as petechiae or purpura. This area of purplish splotching can indicate severe sepsis and is caused by the rupture of the capillaries beneath the skin. Keep in mind that the pediatric assessment triangle is intended to identify any conditions that may result in the death of your pediatric patient within the next few minutes. Once you've got your additional assessment, move on to the primary assessment to get more information. We will use the letters A, B, C, D, and E to guide our assessment. Beginning with the airway, we'll assess the rate, rhythm, and quality of breathing. You should not take more than 10 seconds to complete this part of your assessment. If you find that you have an airway problem, begin with the simplest treatment possible, such as a head tilt chin lift. Keep in mind that for very young children, you'll need to place some padding under their shoulders to offset the large posterior portion of their head, which can sometimes cause the chin to flex forward. This can often result in an airway obstruction. Also be aware that you don't want to hyperextend the patient's neck, as the trachea is more narrow as well as more flexible than that of an adult. Suctioning the airway may be a benefit here, but keep in mind that you need to limit the amount of time that you suction it as it could cause your patient to become bradycardic. During the airway assessment, watch for head bobbing or seesaw respirations. Head bobbing comes about as a result of a modified form of tripoding, in which the child allows his chin to fall forward during expiration. This can be an indicator of fatigue and an impending sign of respiratory arrest. Seesaw breathing is seen where the stomach is extended when the chest retracts and vice versa. We see this often in patients with a foreign body airway obstruction. It may also be present if there is a lower airway obstruction or disorder control of breathing. Seesaw breathing often results in fatigue and respiratory failure or arrest. Begin now to listen to breath sounds on all patients, regardless of their health or their age. In doing so, you'll be able to readily identify what is normal and what is not. Let's take a look at some of the more common breath sounds heard in the pediatric patient. Strider. Strider is a high-pitched sound that's usually heard on inspiration. Strider is an indicator of a severe airway obstruction. Gurgling is a bubbling sound that indicates that there's fluid present in the airway. This is usually caused by copious airway secretions, blood, or vomit in the airway. The airway must be suctioned in order to clear any secretions or vomit. Keep in mind what we said, though, about suctioning for longer than 10 seconds. Crackles, also called rails, are inspiratory sounds that are similar to the sound that you get when you rub hair together. They're often heard when fluid is in the alveolar spaces and are associated with pulmonary diseases like congestive heart failure and pneumonia. You can use some tools to assess the patient's respiratory status. One of the most commonly used tools for this is the pulse oximetry monitor. Commonly shortened to pulse ox, it measures the percentage of hemoglobin that is fully saturated with oxygen, or any other substance for that matter. Normal values for this is 95% or higher. It's rare to be able to get 100% on a patient. It's imperative to understand the limitations that come with the use of pulse oximetry. First, it measures the percentage of what's attached to the hemoglobin not what is actually attached to the hemoglobin. For example, carbon monoxide has a 200 times greater affinity for hemoglobin than it does for oxygen. Placing the pulse ox on a patient in cardiac arrest from carbon monoxide may result in a reading of 98 or 99%, but you still got it a patient. Secondly, if you lose half your circulating volume of blood due to trauma, the pulse ox may read 98 or 99% as 50% of what you've got left as far as your circulating volume is fully saturated, but volume is not enough. Let's move on to circulation. In addition to the assessment of the skin that we spoke of earlier, we want to evaluate the rate and rhythm, the capillary refill time, as well as the blood pressure. Anytime you have a pediatric patient with a heart rate that is greater than 160, be sure to assess them carefully and get a complete history as to what might be going on with There's often a rhythm known as sinus arrhythmia that may exist. As the child inhales, endothoracic pressure is increased, causing pressure on the vagus nerve. This leads to a decrease in the pulse rate. When the child exhales, the pressure is relieved and the heart rate increases. This is a benign condition and no cause for alarm. Capillary refill is the time in seconds as to how long it takes blood to return to an area that has been pressed with a thumb to cause it to blanch or turn white. As perfusion to the skin decreases because of hypoperfusion or, in the case of cold weather, hypothermia, the amount of time that it takes for the blood to return will increase as well. Normal capillary refill time is two seconds or less. Anything longer than that could indicate hypoperfusion. It's recommended that you keep a cheat sheet of the blood pressures of the various age groups. Your patient progresses from a normal blood pressure to hypotension, this may indicate that they're progressing into decompensated shock. The presence of bradycardia during hypotension indicates that all compensatory mechanisms are failing and your patient is going into irreversible shock, a state that has dismal outcomes. These patients are just a short distance from cardiac arrest. All patients, regardless of their age, should get a blood glucose test if they present with an altered mental status of any duration. According to American Heart Association guidelines, infants are considered hypoglycemic if their blood glucose is less than 45 milligrams per deciliter. and children, a blood glucose of less than 60. Just as we do with any other piece of monitoring equipment, we treat our patient and not the monitor. Base whether or not you administer glucose to a hypoglycemic patient upon their symptoms and not the number you read on the glucometer. Once the primary exam or assessment has been completed, you'll now move on to the secondary assessment. During this, you'll perform a detailed physical assessment as well as get a thorough medical history on your patient. The sample mnemonic is helpful here as a memory aid to ensure that nothing is missed. The letters in sample stand for signs and symptoms, allergies, medications, past medical history, last meal, and events that led up to the incident. The focused exam will be directed primarily to the body system that is tied to the patient's chief complaint. During the treatment of a pediatric patient, there will be no more skill that is more important than that of the assessment and history gathering of the patient. It's important that this is done in an organized, systematic manner so that nothing is missed. If you approach it much like an airline pilot doing a pre-flight checkoff, you'll be much less likely to overlook something that may be critical to the positive outcome of your patient. Thanks again for listening to the 10-Minute Medic. In our next podcast, we'll take a look at the pediatric patient who suffers a cardiac arrest and how to treat it. Be sure to join us.